Foreign Minister Joseph Wu has embarked on a visit to Europe. His tour will take him to Slovakia and the Czech Republic, with possible stops in Poland and Belgium. There are now two Taiwanese ministers on official business in the EU, at a time when the bloc's pro-Taiwan sentiment is reaching new heights. It's the foreign minister at the boarding gate greeting the camera before his flight. Foreign Affairs Chief Joseph Wu departed for Europe Sunday evening. Writing on Twitter, he said he was honored to be visiting Slovakia and the Czech Republic. Together, he said, we're unstoppable forces for good. It's already a new era for Taiwan-EU relations. Taiwan and Central and Eastern European countries share similar experiences with democratization starting from the same point in time to today. We all cherish the values of democracy and human rights. Our relationships with European countries are continuously advancing. This is Wu's first visit to unofficial European allies since 2019. Sources say that on this trip, the minister may also visit Poland and the EU's headquarters in Brussels. China's 17 plus 1 cooperation initiative with Central and Eastern European countries is not progressing as well as Beijing expected. And we are seeing some pushback against China in Poland, which is very willing to strengthen its relations with Taiwan. I think that the EU has also voiced strong support for having more interactions with Taiwan. During his tour, Wu will deliver a virtual keynote speech for a forum in Italy organized by the Interparliamentary Alliance on China. In a departure from past practice, Taiwan's recent engagements in Europe were made public and were picked up by international media outlets such as Japan's NHK. Last week, a delegation led by National Development Council Minister Gong Mingxin also headed to Europe. Over the nine-day tour, the delegation will engage in trade talks with Slovakia, the Czech Republic and Lithuania. Taiwan now has two ministers on official visits to Europe, and China isn't happy. We deplore and firmly oppose relevant countries' connivance over these visits. A lot of these countries are increasingly disillusioned uh, with Beijing. Central European countries have emerged as a sort of drivers of uh, pro-Taiwanese politics uh, within the entire EU. The scholar says that as Europe grows increasingly disillusioned with Beijing, it's turning its attention to strengthening Taiwan ties. For Taiwan's government, the challenge is on to strike while the iron is hot and forge friendships. Former Trump advisor John Bolton has called out loud and clear for formally recognizing Taiwan. In an op-ed published in the Wall Street Journal, Bolton says the Biden administration needs a new, less ambiguous strategy when it comes to countering China. One part of that strategy, he says, is affirming that Taiwan is a sovereign country. Another part is to form a security alliance of like-minded East Asian nations, which include Taiwan. Bolton's proposal comes as Washington sends mixed signals on the future of its long-held Taiwan policy. I don't want a cold war with China. I just want to make China understand that we are not going to step back. We are not going to change any of our views. So are you saying that, that the United States would come to Taiwan's defense if yes, China we, attacked? Yes, we have a commitment. Days that. earlier, U.S. President Joe Biden said the U.S. would come to Taiwan's defense if China were to launch an attack. Since then, both the White House and the State Department have said there's been no change in their Taiwan policy, appearing to arrest any drift towards strategic clarity. 
In a Wall Street Journal op-ed, former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton called on Washington to clarify Taiwan's status. He said that the PLA's frequent military harassment of Taiwan demonstrated that the Chinese threat was real and not hypothetical. He urged Washington to recognize Taiwan as a sovereign country and to form an East Asia Quad with like-minded nations. Bolton's statement, to a certain extent, is not only a show of solidarity with Taiwan. It also highlights the harm to national interests that the U.S. has suffered for not recognizing Taiwan as a sovereign and independent country. According to the DPP lawmaker, Bolton's statement highlights the vital role of Taiwan in Washington's Indo-Pacific strategy and in the global economy. China has continually moved to squeeze Taiwan, not just militarily, but also through diplomatic means. In Corriere della Sera, Italy's largest newspaper, an anonymous source in the Holy See said that amid the U.S.-China conflict, Pope Francis has been under great pressure from China over the Taiwan issue. According to the source, China has continued to ask the Holy See to sever diplomatic relations with Taiwan in exchange for official relations with Beijing. However, the Holy See has held out, hoping to delay the decision after it establishes an embassy in Beijing. China's human rights situation, especially the situation in Hong Kong, Tibet and Xinjiang, is also an obstacle to exchanges between Beijing and the Holy See. The lawmaker said that the Taiwan Holy See relationship is stable and that there's no need to fear a switch in allegiance. Even so, the Italian report reveals the extent of Chinese coercion on the Holy See. Bookings have opened for the second phase of the 12th round of vaccinations. Starting Monday at 10 a.m., people aged 23 and up can book their first shot of Pfizer. In addition, people who received their first shot of Moderna on or before July 16 can now book their second shot. As of 1 p.m., more than half of the 1.5 million people eligible had scheduled their appointment. As of Sunday, one-shot coverage in Taiwan has surpassed 67 percent. Two-shot coverage is approaching 27 percent. Even so, the health minister says it's not yet time to ease border controls. Restrictions will be reviewed only after 60 percent of Taiwan is fully vaccinated. Aftershocks are expected after Taiwan was struck by its strongest earthquake so far this year. Last Sunday, a magnitude 6.5 earthquake rattled Elan County and was soon followed by a trembler of magnitude 5.4. The earthquakes occurred over a subduction zone, which is where one tectonic plate sinks beneath another. Experts warn that in the coming days, the area may see aftershocks of magnitude 4 or higher. On Sunday, a magnitude 6.5 earthquake struck Elan's Nanao Township. It caused rock slides that blocked a road leading to Qingshui's Geothermal Park, which will now be closed for three days. The Tembla had occurred along a subduction zone. Experts say that in the current phase of the seismic cycle, Taiwan is more prone to subduction zone earthquakes. In the 100-year cycle, the first 50 years is a period of high activity. The order of the activity is basically this, major earthquakes along the western half, for instance the 1992 Gigi earthquake. That's followed by greater subduction zone activity. Once that activity recedes, it goes back to the western half and that completes the cycle. The epicenter of the magnitude 6.5 Tembla was deep, and so it caused relatively little damage. 
but experts say that subduction zones can produce powerful and devastating earthquakes. Pressure builds up where the tectonic plates meet. If a lot of energy is built up, that can cause megaquakes with magnitudes above 8 or 8.5. The 2011 Tohoku earthquake in Japan was also a subduction zone earthquake. Experts say Nanao Township is a hotspot for earthquakes due to its proximity to a subduction zone and a fracture zone. That makes it a very seismically active area. Nanao sees a lot of shallow earthquakes. There isn't a fault zone there, it's a fracture zone. Fracture zone earthquakes don't really reach magnitudes of 6.5. The Central Weather Bureau says aftershocks of magnitude 4 and up may follow in the next three days, so be on the alert in case more shaking comes. A new tea house on the island of Jingmen is causing a big stir. At a location on Yangzai Street, you can see the tea being made in an iron pot on a wood-fired stove, just like the old days. Some elders in the community still remember the custom from childhood. Most have never seen it before. The tea house seems to be lots of people's cup of tea. The tea maestro feeds logs into a traditional red brick stove. The dry wood quickly starts to crackle. If you open the chimney, the airflow can get flowing and wisps of white smoke rise into the air. Then it's time to put an iron cooking pot on the stove and brew tea the oldest way. We heard some local history from tea house owner Chen Shujun while he showed us the traditional methods. It only has the aroma when you use this kind of stove. The taste is more traditional when you boil the tea like this. People don't make it like this so much anymore. There isn't the environment for it and people have less time. Brewing tea on a wood-fired stove became popular across Jinmen many years ago. A red brick stove a stove like this was once commonplace. Now tourists and locals alike are flocking here to admire this specimen. For some customers, sitting down by the fireside feels like a trip back to childhood. It feels like my childhood is replaying itself in my mind. When we were little kids, we always used to cozy up to the stove, to eat, to bathe. All kinds of things in life were all about the stove. I was preparing this tea house for the good part of a year. Originally, we were going to open in May, but because of the pandemic, we had to postpone it. After the COVID restrictions were lifted, I thought, well, we have to get on with life. No matter how tough the environment is, we have to keep moving forward. So we opened the tea house and gradually people came, whether one, two, three locals, visitors. When word of it starts getting out, the whole image of us in Jinmen, as well as our tea house's image, and the products gradually get shared. Then it will attract more and more visitors to come enjoy the stove is not the only attraction. The interior decor also reflects the building's history as a bathhouse. It's a nostalgic atmosphere unique to Jinmen. This shop was once a bathhouse, then it was remodeled like this. I think it preserves the original vibe and it's added some new creative elements. They've been integrated and this design reflects a lifestyle, a way of life. It can allow lots of travelers to more deeply get in touch with and more deeply understand our culture. This young man's love for his hometown and for tea has certainly met with lots of support so far. It's gone down well with old and young, local and guest, and given everyone a taste of the old days of the island. Taiwan reported two local COVID infections, six imported cases and one death on Monday. CCC officials say the two local cases had a CT value above 30, meaning that they posed little risk to the community. Let's hear from the CCC. Uh, 
呃，一六四八五是一位二十多岁的男性。There are two local infections. One is case number one six four eight five, a man in his twenties who got tested on October twenty fourth because he needed to accompany a hospital patient. His CT value was thirty three. He tested negative for IgM antibodies and positive for IgG antibodies. One contact was identified and tested, with the results coming back negative. The other case is case number one six four eight six, a man in his forties who was tested for other reasons. He had a CT value of thirty seven and tested negative for IgM. Antibodies and positive for IgG antibodies. Five contacts were identified and given PCR tests. Results all came back negative. So these two cases do not pose a big risk to the community. Although the epidemic has largely stabilized, the CECC plans to extend Taiwan's level two alert, which is due to expire on November 1st. Officials say that it's possible that the alert will be adjusted to level one by the end of 2021, but they say it would depend on three main. Variables: global pandemic developments, Taiwan's vaccination coverage, and public compliance with public health regulations. Taoyuan International Airport has introduced a robot sweeper to clean its terminal lounges. The airport says the robot will reduce the burden of increased hygiene protocols necessary to prevent the spread of COVID. It will also ease heavy workloads for human staff. Claim airport officials. For now, the robot can be seen sweeping the floors in Terminal Two. A cleaner turns on the disinfection machine on his back to begin sterilizing this airport lounge. When that's done, two more cleaners move down the hall at left and right, mopping the floor. It's a labor-intensive process. Soon, there'll be a shortcut. This cleaning trolley has been given a total makeover, with sensors at the front and back. To become a lean, mean cleaning machine. Taoyuan International Airport is the first line of health defense at the national border. So, in the light of the need for repeated cleaning of large areas across the whole airport in the coming period, we planned ahead and decided to bring in these floor-sweeping robots. It will be useful and improve efficiency in the execution of our work. Airport hygiene standards have never been so important. Taoyuan Airport got support from the Industrial Development Bureau and found a corporate partner. Together, they introduce this robot cleaner to Terminal Two. The sweeping robot will support the airport with repetitive cleaning and disinfection functions across a large area. Our human staff can focus their efforts on tricky corners and surfaces which the robot is unable to reach, so they can complement each other. When the robot comes across a traveler, it will stop and give a warning. Turning corners is no problem either. It can even find power sockets and change its own battery. Lots of safety protection sensors are fitted on the front, back, left, and right. So as it's carrying out sweeping in a venue like Taoyuan Airport, where there are large crowds of people or where lots of travelers are coming and going, it can detect obstacles in its own vicinity at any time. Moreover, depending on the client's needs, this model can be flexibly programmed, adjusting the time when it sweeps, the range, the area, the sequence, and even the intensity of the sweeping. This can also effectively reduce the need for labor. Airport officials are hoping the robot will give them a hand over the second pandemic winter. A new documentary tells the story of Mulas, a rescued Formosan black bear. It was found as an abandoned cub in 2019. In an unprecedented move, Taidong conservators took the cub in and looked after for it for nearly 10 months, training it in the skills it needed in the wild.
Its rehabilitation was a first in Taiwan, and it offered a precious window into the behavior of Formosan black bears after human care. Via satellite signal, forestry officials released a tracking collar worn by mullahs of Formosan black bear, marking the true beginning of its life in the wild. The cub was found alone in July of 2019 in Taidong's Guanyin village. Since its mother was nowhere to be seen, the Forestry Bureau made the unprecedented decision of taking care of the bear. We cared for it for more than 290 days and tracked its movements for more than 400. That's more than one year. It all went smoothly, so in June of this year, we released its GPS collar and let it return to the wilderness by itself. But letting mullahs go was not just a matter of releasing the collar. The documentary shows the bear handling and chewing fruits, climbing up trees and playing hide-and-seek with people. All these activities were part of a plan by the forest office to train mullahs for its eventual release to the wild. There was a special task, which was to put the tracking collar on the bear. It had to be tight enough for it to not to fall off, while giving enough room for the bear to grow. In the future, the researchers in charge will be able to track the cub via satellite and see its activities in the wild. The satellite tracking device allowed the office to collect Taiwan's first long-term data on the activity and behavior of Formosan black bear released to the wild. The data is of immense value, marking a milestone for Formosan black bear conservation. Over the 405 days of tracking, mullahs traveled more than 314 kilometers and displayed seasonal activity patterns. We chose to screen the documentary at Mulas's hometown at Tuapu's Guanyuan village. We hope that by doing so, we can get more indigenous people to understand that black bears and all of us share the same environment, which is all around us. I hope that we can make this environment even better. The documentary is the story of Mulis's rehabilitation. The forestry office says it hopes the film will allow the public to better understand the conservation work of Formosan black bears. The data collected will inform future approaches to conservation and to releasing more Formosan black bears to the wild. A 58-year-old marathon runner from Taiwan has finished a second in the world's longest certified foot race. Luo Weiming competed in the Shri Chinmoy Self-Transcendence 3,100-mile race in New York City. He crossed the finish line last Saturday, completing nearly 5,000 kilometers in 48 days, 11 hours, 52 minutes, and 1 second. He's now the first competitor from Asia to complete the race since it was first organized in 1997. Self-transcendence is a very good precept. I upheld the ideals of Sri Chimoy. Although I have never interacted with him myself, I upheld his teachings about gratitude, peace, purity, and self-discipline. I knew that so long as I upheld these ideals, I could finish the race. Today, I have finished it. I have done it. Today, I have not lost face for the Taiwanese people. I have done my best. Thank you all. Congratulations, but I also want to apologize because you always used to say, I want to let the world see our national flag, and I would tell you, fat chance. Now, you've really done it. You're the best. 
Lowe has run ultra marathons for more than 20 years now. Over the course of his career, he's captured attention for running in flip-flops. He sources his breathable footwear straight from Taiwan, and the shoes have thick cushions that soften his landings. Although he says his flip-flops gave him a boost, your mileage may vary. Pingdong is gearing up for a major cycling festival at the picturesque Dapeng Bay. It's the year of cycling tourism in Taiwan, and Dapeng Bay's cruising 300 events are bigger than ever. From November 6 to 7, there will be many different races and challenges for cyclists of different abilities. There are even slow races for kids. Cyclists circle Dapeng Bay in Pingdong County, admiring the beautiful shores of this lagoon, which stretch out 11.7 kilometers. The annual Dapeng Bay Cruise in 300 series of events will return in November. In wide open spaces, so long as you maintain social distancing while riding, you don't need to wear a mask. But social events are a different kettle of fish. If crowds gather at an event, masks should always be on. And it's not just fun for adults. Balanced bike races will be held for kids as well. To avoid pushing kids into a hurry, there will also be slow races. To see who can reach the finish, last. The rules are, you have to ride slowly. You can't touch the ground with your feet. We'll see who can reach the finish line last. It's a test of balance. And for teams of adults, there's a chance to win prizes through a photo opportunity. All cyclists who can reach the picturesque location and share a photo online will win a prize. In the experience category, we designed a photoshoot circuit. There are 10 scenic spots, and if you collect eight of them, you can win a commemorative vest. 2021 is the year of cycling tourism in Taiwan. The Dapong Bay Cruise in 300 events will be bigger and brighter than ever this year, with two venues instead of one, plus spaces for up to 500 cyclists, up from the previous cap of 300. Officials are also encouraging tourists to spend quintuple stimulus vouchers and domestic tourism vouchers at the event and help support local economies.